Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Thank you, God, for this this text we get tonight, Judges 16. We get to finish the very dramatic ending to the Samson story. And I just thank you for everybody here who is journeying alongside uh, me, and uh, it's just a pleasure to to be able to walk through this text together. We just pray, O oh Lord, that you would teach us what you mean to teach us tonight, and that we'd be challenged and encouraged. And that we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to mute everybody. Again, don't be offended. If you, if you were going to be offended, well, that's just life. You probably were going to be offended anyway. Okay, here we go. Mute, mute, mute. All right, so we're all muted. Cool. So, yeah, this is the closing of the Samson's story. It is very dramatic. Um, it begins with a majestic legendary feat, and it ends with a majestic legendary feat. So we're in Judges 16. All right, we're in verses 1 to 3. One day Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. We're not surprised, are we? This is, this is Samson. He sees what he wants. He gets what he wants. He doesn't. Okay. He saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. My goodness. Well, we start here with an utter disregard. Um, From where Samson was last, I want you to picture him traveling. So Samson's a guy. Samson's a guy with um, desires and lusts and all those kind of things. And he wants to satisfy those desires. Well, there's wanting to satisfy those desires. And then there's um, traveling 40 miles to a major Philistine city to satisfy your desires. And this was not a case of, you know, Samson just going along and all of a sudden he feels the urge. It's, you know, let's just go take care of things. And let's just kind of just, okay, here, here, I just happen to be here. And, you know, I know it's wrong, but, you know, what are you going to do? No, this is Samson deliberately going way the heck out of his way to make this happen. This is, uh, yeah, Mick Texan, he's a character with no character. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's the book of Judges for you, you're right. Uh, This was a deliberate rebellious act. And going to a prostitute now is kind of a shady thing. And back then it was a shady thing. And it's um, kind of a stealthy thing. So we don't quite know if Samson is just going way out of his way to not be known and to get away with it. Or is Samson the kind of character, maybe he's thinking, I don't care what I do. No one's going to touch me. And you know what? I'm probably going to be known. And I think I want to be caught because bring it on. I don't know. Both would fit Samson well, and uh, and he, yeah, 
Yeah, he make make text. He highly doubt he care about other side. Randy texted in. He's he's got a Philistine fetish, you know. And that's the thing is that we we don't always know what what the the women are. They don't always say like they're not going to say what Delilah. We're not going to know if she's a Philistine or not. But Samson seems to only go for Philistines. It's just his only thing. He's he's like a one like a Johnny One Note on that regard. Um, yeah, and uh, Mick texted him, if he's intentional about anything, it's sinning. Yeah, so he's got, a, he's, got, he's got a deliberate rebellion here. His utter disregard, and, you know, we're, we're going to call it what it is. We, you know, he, he just tore apart the city gate, and then, you know, he's marching uphill with this thing. Okay, I mean, this is, this is not a small thing he did. This is... Um, yeah, this is this this is pretty legendary, but it's very self-serving. Um, the question is, did Samson have the right to save himself from being killed by these Philistines? The answer is yes, of course. But here's the problem with Samson. He only acts to save himself. That's all he does is focus on his stinking self. Every legendary, everything is about himself. He's always coming back to himself. Did he have the right to save himself? Yes, but he only ever works to save himself. And that's not what he's supposed to be doing with his life. God raised him up not to save himself all the time. God raised him up. He only acts to save himself. He hasn't delivered even one Israelite from the Philistines, not even one. In fact, you could argue that the feat of strength was unnecessary. He could have broken down the gate and ran away if he wanted to. And yeah, um, he's now left the city of Gaza defenseless, at least for the time being. Thanks, thanks, Randy. And I, I, I don't think that, remember the Philistines are in charge right now, so I'm not so certain that that's going to matter in terms of their safety. But yeah, um, well, we get the great secret here. He's got the deliberate rebellion. Samson is just, he's, he's legendary. No one's denying the fact that Samson, through God's power, is able to do legendary, amazing things. But he's very self-serving. So you may accomplish some great things in your life, but if they all come back to you, what have you really done? If everything is about you, even your accomplishments and everything, I mean, what's the point? I mean, I, recently I was, I was listening to you know, we as a staff at church, we listened to a, uh, a Right Now Media conference. And one of the speakers on there, I believe it was J.D. Greer. I, I like listening to him. And he said, people are worried about leaving a legacy. He's like, the heck with your legacy. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Don't leave a legacy. Let that be your goal. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Whoa. Here I was, you know, dreaming about a legacy one day. He's like, hold on a second. This ain't supposed to be about me. Samson's all about Samson all the time. So there's, there's got to be, there's, this bad example has to teach us. Otherwise, it's being wasted on us. We have to see this. Ah, the great secret, four to six. Let's get back on my phone here. Hold on. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Oh, we all have the Samson. And we have to have the Delilah. There she is. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, 
See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, I don't know if you want to get an olive oil kind of voice. I don't know if you want to get, get really kind of like Marilyn Monroe. I mean, you, you dig up the schmaltziest stereotypical female voice you can right now. You're not going to get it from this guy because I really can't do it. But uh, you, Delilah is a stereotype at this point in the story. You're going to see her unfold and she is just going to use whatever ever thinks she can and whatever i don't know parts of her anatomy whatever she's got to do to get this it's going to continue on the whole chapter okay so she starts right away tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued so uh we have a marvelous feat and the philistines are um they're wanting to know the secret to how this happened. So we have another woman, but this one is named. He's got three women, okay? One he marries, one he just uses, he, just he goes to as a prostitute, and one who uses him, Delilah. And only one of them is named. Now we don't exactly know what Delilah means, but her name is, is similar to Lahila, which means evening or kind of like darkness or very much tied to the moon. So we have Samson, the little sun god guy, Shimshon. He's falling in love with someone tied to darkness or the moon. So the sun kind of falling in love with the moon, kind of thing like that. You know, it's kind of poetic and kind of cheesy, but that's what her name kind of means. We don't even know if she's a Philistine or not, um, but probably is because A, that's the only person, the kind of person that Samson likes is a Philistine. And B, the rulers of the Philistines are going to her and she is not going, whoa, there's Philistines here. No, she's wanting to take their money. And so it's probably she's a Philistine, though we don't know for certain. I'm just saying. So if someone wants Hedy Lamar as the voice. Um, you know what? It, that There you go. Have at it. Uh, but yeah, just kind of like, oh, Archie, oh, Archie. It's just, I don't know. Um, yeah, Samson can lift up the city gate. But will he be able to resist the wiles of a woman? Is he that strong? Oh, he can tear a city apart. But can he, can he resist? Can he hold out? Will he give his secret? I don't know. I don't know. An opportune moment. Yeah, well, this is it. They're dumping a whole bunch of money on, on her. And saying, they're essentially saying, if anyone's going to get this secret, it's going to be you. And you know what? There's just enough sex and sex in that arrangement there. Okay. We're not pretending that Samson and Delilah are great paragons of faith here. All right. She's going to get the information out of him any way she can. And the Philistines are paying her good money to do so. So we're not going to pretend what's not going on in that room. This is not the great relationship you want to have your sons and daughters mimic and model. And no, not at all. This is manipulation. We'll get there in a moment. It's an opportune moment. And, and by the way, this might come as a shock to you.
I know when I heard this in Dr. Younger's uh, judges class way back when in seminary, it blew my mind. His commentary, by the way, is genius. And it is my primary source for my class here. Uh, Lawson, Dr. Lawson Younger, his book on, on, on commentary on judges, just genius. But I was in his class and I remember him saying this, it blew my Sunday school mind. I'm just gonna say it. A face value reading of Samson, you know, when you're in your Sunday school class and they have you color those little pictures of Samson, he's always this, you know, monster guy, you know, the, this huge dude, and you know, it's like the body that men admire and women adore, you know, you got people fanning him. He's just this great beast of a guy. I don't think he was. I think he was just a regular dude. I don't think he had massive arms. I No. A face value reading of this text is this. Samson is strong, and nobody knows why he's strong. They're willing to pay out a small fortune to figure out what the heck's the deal. Why is he so strong? Why is he not able to be subdued by anybody? Why does he seem to get out and outmuscle every situation? I mean, honestly, that would make Delilah the biggest moron in all of scripture. Oh, Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength as she's as she's rubbing his 52-inch biceps. Like, what do you think the answer is, woman? You know, let me take you to the gun show kind of thing. Um, no. He is, I think he was just a regular looking dude. Just taking the text at face value, nobody knows why he's strong, why he's able to do any of these things. I think he was just a regular guy. And so there really was a secret. There was a dear secret why he was so strong, why he was able to do anything. And we would expect him to be this beast of a guy. We would at least go, well, you know, he's, he didn't skip leg day. Look at the guy. I mean, you know, there he is. And I know there's a text coming in. He, they're strong and they're supernatural strong. And, and honestly, that, that's true. But that's not the face value reading of this text. A face value reading of this text, the Philistines knew strength. They would later produce a guy called Goliath, where there was no secret at all about his strength. So the Philistines understood physical strength and great feats of strength. And it's like, that was later going to be their story in the time of David. This is before then, of course. So they're expecting Samson to have a reason, like there's gotta be something. And remember, this is a pagan culture where they're used to having magical answers. Well, maybe he's got a contract with some kind of deity. Maybe he's got some kind of magical thing he's doing here. Maybe there's some kind of a special thing about him. And we're gonna see Samson start to answer these questions with magical means. Oh, you got to do this to me and, I, and I'll lose my strength magically. And then they'll try it. We'll see. But I just, I just got to say that. So if that's blown your Samson mind, fine. But just reading the text at face value, I don't think he was a big dude. And I know that might be your only, only reference to Samson as he was a large guy. And that's all you studied. I just don't think he was. It just doesn't make sense to me with the story as it was. I just got to say that. I got to get that out there. And it blew my mind hearing that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know how to, what to deal with that, but that makes a lot of sense. I'm not saying he was a little shrimpy guy, but he just probably wasn't a beast like we like to think he was. There you go. I'm just leave, leave that alone. Um, seven to 15. The only thing genuine is the selfishness. Samson answered her. If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings, 
that have not been dried. Look how specific he is. He, you can just tell he's playing with her. I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings. Samson should have known right there. I mean, that's awfully specific for, for all of a sudden for these guys to show up with this. He's got to know that she's funneling this information to these guys. Okay, right away, but he, I don't think he cares. Because remember, he's all about himself. And the text doesn't exactly say, but I think Samson's getting what he wants out of the deal. Do I need to say more? Or can your brain make fill in the blanks there? Samson is getting his, his ego stroked and everything is working out. And he gets to answer her questions with this malarkey. Here it is. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. And she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. We continue. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now. You can picture his head laying on her lap and she's stroking his brow. I don't know. Come now. Tell me how you can be tied. What kind of woman is this? Like, I love you, dear. Tell me how people can defeat you. What kind of conversation is that? But okay, it's just, he said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric of the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pin. And she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep, pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. OMG, enough. My goodness, the nags and manipulation coming from Delilah. The nag, the nag, the nag, the manipulation. Oh, you don't love me because if you love me, you'd give me every woman fancy. You don't love me. You would, you would fall into my trap if you loved me. Using the word love. I don't think she wanted love. I think she wanted control. She wanted her money. She wanted to know that she could work this guy over, maybe like she's worked every other guy over. I don't know. All I have here is things don't work out, and she keeps tossing the love word around. You don't love me. You don't love me. I'm so sick of hearing that. You don't love me. You don't love me. And he's no better. He's a big jerk. All he wants to do is humiliate her. So all she wants to do is nag and, 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 and manipulate. And all he wants to do is mock and humiliate. The only thing genuine about their relationship is their stinking selfishness. They're both selfish. They're a horrible match and well-matched at the same time. What do we learn about relationships here? They're not selfish. They're not meant to be selfish. If you're selfish with your friends, you're not a good friend. If you're selfish in your marriage, 
You need to work on your marriage. If you're selfish in your relationship with Jesus, you're not truly following Jesus, who demands you deny yourself. Selfishness ruins relationships. If selfishness unfolds itself in nagging and manipulation, knock it off. If selfishness unveils itself with, with this humiliation and mocking and not really wanting the best for the other person, knock it off. Don't be a Delilah. Don't be a Samson. If you're like either of those characters in your relationship, knock it off. That's just not what we learn about relationships here. Don't be a Delilah. Also, don't be a Samson. My goodness. Boundaries are a good thing. Manipulation is a bad thing. Have no business in relationships like this. So, yeah, good text coming in here uh, the, from Randy. The text doesn't specify whether he did anything to the guys hiding in wait for him. It doesn't. I, 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 I imagine he just, they're just going to run off. You know, they're, they're expecting the, him to be, you know, tied up and weak and, and, and all of a sudden he just like, Rawr! and it comes out and breaks all the, you know, the bindings and they're like, okay, hey, you know what, we'll, we'll deliver the pizza later, man, let's take off or something. But yeah, and Mick texted, more importantly, what kind of an oaf moron simpleton is he? Oh yeah, totally. But at least he's smart. He's got some smartness to him. I mean, he's, he's, got, a, he's got a wicked sense of humor. You got to give him that. He's coming up with these riddles and he's, he, he, he's got this kind of wicked kind of manipulative sense of humor and he's playing with her here. Okay. So I don't know if I could call him a simpleton so much because he's, he's got some evil genius mixed in there, but I'm just saying, but she, she is not, a, you know, again, she's only, she's only kind of a, a moron. If he is a giant of a man, then she's kind of really playing the game. Like, Oh, how, how why are you so strong? It's because of all these, you know, I mean, no, then, then, then she's the simpleton. But if, if, if he's not, if he's not a big dude, then she's not a simpleton and she's just really trying to figure it out. And she's going to use everything at her disposal to figure it out. And she'll be, be being paid well to do that. Yeah. Well, it's possible Randy that he, he did take out his attackers and maybe every time he fools Delilah, he takes out a few more Philistines in theory. I, the text just doesn't say, but it's a good idea. It's maybe he just defeats them and sends them on their merry way. And then they have a smarting rear end or something. I don't know. It gives them a few swats. Um, but yeah, Samson is a manipulative idiot. Yeah. You know what? They're all, they're both manipulative. They're, they're, they're both, they're both horrible examples of relationships and don't be that way either way. Um, your marriage needs to be better than, than their relationship. So revelation and subduing 16 to 22. With such nagging, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. I bet. So he told her everything. Now, this is where as readers, we perk up. Because in all honesty, we don't know the secret of his strength. Not really. No, we know that God's coming upon him. We know that the spirit of the Lord's empowering him. But for us as readers, we don't see this as a secret. We see this and we understand what God is doing. So for us, we're perking up our minds here and going, oh, really? Really? This is the way God's going to play this? There's some secret all of a sudden? Like there is really some magic? 
So we're perking up our minds here and going, oh, okay, you have our attention, Samson. You actually are going to spill the beans. This is going to be news to us as well. I mean, right? Right, here we go. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day till he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. Here he goes. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God for my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, cough, cough. After putting him to sleep in her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Oh, really? Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. I like to think now she's not playing olive oil. Oh, Popeye, oh, Samson, like for real, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. So notice there, he doesn't say, I'll go out as before and you know, kick some butt, you know, drive these guys off and leave a pile of corpses. No, he's just shaking himself free. I'm just saying, the text just sort of answered your question. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Huh. Uh-oh. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Remember, Samson messed up their grain crop. Remember all those foxes and the, the, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So, But the hair on his head began to grow again after having been shaved. So we have the shame in what Samson does know, the sadness in what Samson doesn't know. I got a couple of texts coming in here real quick. Um, Mick text, I don't think it was really the secret of his strength. It was simply the last Nazarite vow to break, okay? Uh, Daniel, a sensible person would have, have left that relationship, but Samson's not exactly what we call a sensible person. Correct, he does whatever is right in his own eyes. He's perfect for the book of Judges. Uh, and Mick, again, it was the last slight God would endure from Samson at the time, more like God is saying, that's it. Yeah. In fact, I think we could go a step further. Samson is playing magical stuff. He's doing Magic the Gathering with Delilah here. He's, they're playing magic cards, okay? He's doing the one more thing, try this magical solution. Oh, that didn't work. I got another one for you. And these are like... You know, the pin, who killed somebody with a pin back in the Barack story, jail, call, you know, killed Sisera, you know, with a pin in the head kind of thing. All right. So I just happened to pick up a little rolling pin. How's it going? But yeah, <laughs> my home office is in my kids' playroom. So it's just fun stuff. These little magical solutions. So I think God is saying this. I got a magical solution for you. He, Samson's going to give, because the text doesn't give an idea. Samson thinks he's spilling the beans, but he doesn't know God left him at that point. So I think maybe he's telling her one last fib. I don't, I don't think he really means it because he's then shocked. I think God's like, all right, you want to play this game? We're going to play this game. And God's going to play that game. And God's unfolding this in a sovereign will. 
as Christians reading this, that's how we know God works. The God's not going to be limited by Samson and whatever he has to say. As if God made Samson's hair magical, please. That's not what God does. I mean, that's the Nazarite vow, and the hair is precious, and it's part of the process, but come on. Come on. This is all about God's spirit sovereignly coming upon Samson at various stages of his life. But God's going to play this game. He clearly took God for granted. Amen. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. So we have here the shame of what Samson knows. Um, here's the greatest shame for Samson. He confesses something. What does Samson know? He knows. It's like his mother, the unnamed wife of Manoah. She must have said one thing growing up. Samson, you're my special boy. You came here by special ways. An angel, you know, all these things. Samson, you're a special young man. You're a Nazarite. All this life of yours, Samson, we're going to keep you from this. You're not going to have wine. You're not going to have grapes, raisins, any of these things. Samson, you're special. Every good mother does that with their boy. But we're left to think that this this woman, this mother of his, gave that legacy. Because shame on you, Samson. What did he say? He knows he's a Nazarite since birth. He knows about his special Nazarite status all along. Even though this bonehead has had nothing but a complete disregard. So we can't say for Samson, oh, well, maybe he forgot. Wrong. All this time, as he's killing a lion, as he's visiting the carcass, as he's killing a bunch of people with, with the, the, the carcass of a donkey, a jawbone. I mean, all these things that are like the un-Nazarite as possible, he knows. All this time, he knows he's a Nazarite. All this time, he knows. He just disregards. He doesn't give a flip. He doesn't care. Not one bit. God means this much to him at best. He just doesn't care. God to Samson is like, Dad, go get me that woman over there because I want her. A means to an end. A status for Facebook or something. It's just, um, it's like he was testing God all along, Nick says. Yeah, it's, I guess. I mean, it's, it's like the testing is God is going to smite this guy and be done with it. I mean, what's he going to do? Um, yeah, and in fact, this is a good point. Mick's actually, it's like nothing happened after the first slight of God. The first time I poked God in the eyes, I didn't die. Well, the next time I poked God in the eyes, I didn't die. The 400th time I poked God in the eye, well, maybe I'll get off again. Maybe God's not really real if I'm not getting punished for anything. I don't know. It's a good point. But what we do know is that Samson knows he's special. And there's shame there. We want to hope for Samson that maybe he didn't know, that maybe his bozo parents didn't tell him, that maybe he just grew up thinking he was just a normal dude that could do some crazy things sometimes, and he always seemed to wiggle off the hook. We don't get that, do we? We get the fact that he knows. Yeah, he, he knew God was real because of his strength. Yeah, especially this makes all the more sense if he's not a big dude, 
if he's just a normal looking guy that can do supernatural things at some certain times, it's like he's got to know God is real at that point. And that just didn't happen. And all of a sudden he's a Nazi. He's like, well, I'm a Nazarite. So yeah, God's, I'm, a, I'm God's special guy. So God's going to come upon me a special time. That would then make sense. Mm, there's shame in what Samson knows. But there's sadness of what Samson doesn't know. What does Samson not know? He doesn't know that God has then left him. And spoiler alert, God chose to do it when he, the hair got cut, but God's not some magical creature that depends upon magical means. God sovereignly chose that because if you think about it, that advances Samson's narrative, and that's going to get Samson chained in the next few verses. Because then they're going to realize, oh, yeah, he's toast. He really is toast. He can't do anything. He was right. He doesn't have this power anymore because he took his hair. All right. That, that, that advances the story for them. And now they're going to chain him up in a few verses. But that's not God. God's not manipulated by hair. Where Samson's like, I'll show you God. Taking the hair off. No. God's not manipulated by that. He's not limited, limited by those means. No, 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 no. But there's sadness in what Samson doesn't know. He doesn't know God's left him. He's going to figure it out at some point. But the text is clear. Samson's strength left him. And it, it is perfectly clear. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And that is sad. That's sad with, with any character in the Bible. To not know that. He just assumed that God was with him all this time. So when finally God had decided that was it, that's sad. But we have a dawn of hope, don't we? The narrator of the, of the text gives us some beautiful poetry here. But the hair on his head began to grow back. Now, just remember, God's not some magical being. So... That's not like, okay, the hair is going to grow back. So maybe as it keeps growing, he's going to get more strength. No, 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 no. There's just, there's hope here. God left him, but will God still use him? Is there still going to be a moment for Samson? The text gives us that hint. The hair is starting to grow back. Okay. So we're still expecting something here. There's just a little bit of hope right here. Yeah. Randy text. Interesting that he couldn't tell when the Lord was with him or not. Yeah. It's, it's tragic. It's sad. It really is sad. There's shame in what Samson knows. There's sadness in what he doesn't know. But a dawn of hope. Let's go to the, there's a theological moment here. You're like, a theological moment? What are you talking about? You call your class, your class master class theology. Of course, you have a theological moment. Hey, it's not my theological moment. It's the freaking Philistines and their theological moment. Here we go. 23 to 25. Well, you know what? Before I get there, let's read what's on this texture I put in here. So a few generations later, David and Goliath, the next big clash with the Philistines. Young man David's going to come on the field in 1 Samuel 17. He's going to say this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me, and I'm reading from the page here, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day. Yahweh, the Lord, will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, that was David, not yet King David, maybe a little bit after being shepherd boy David, that David making a very mundane situation, a theological situation. So we know it can be done on our side. Let's listen to what the Philistines do. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon. Now Dagon was their grain god. Okay, he was the one that Samson would have offended by burning up all the grain. He's the one that kept them alive with the crop cycle every year. Okay, here we go. A great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate saying, now listen to this theological moment. You think for one second if our God's going to be ticked. If God's all of a sudden not going to go, oh, heck no. Oh, no, they didn't. Here we go. Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. I don't know what he was doing to perform for them. Was he bouncing on a ball? Was he, you know, I don't know. This would be your argument that Samson was a big guy. Because all of a sudden, it would, it would have turned into a flexing show or something like that. I don't know. I honestly don't know what he did to perform for them. Maybe he just continued to ground grain. And they got to see his shame. I don't know. When they and they stood him among the pillars. Wait there just a moment. What's the Philistines' theological error? Well, their theological premise is this: Our God finally took care of our enemy for us. Our God Dagon took care of it. He came through for us. Our God is real, and He accomplished the victory. What's their error? Their God is not. But what's the real error? Who accomplished this victory? Who put Samson in their hands? Samson's God, Yahweh. The only God of the two that's real. It was, it was Yahweh. God's sovereign plan put Samson there. Our God is sovereign. Yeah, it is a reasonable assumption, Randy Tags, under the circumstances that their God did it. That's all they have to go on. But you see, they took a mundane situation and made it theological. They chained him up, not in some random field, but in the temple of the rival they put to Israel's God, Dagon. I think God, God doesn't perk up. God is not going, oh, really? But I think God pays attention. Aaron texted, and I suspect his show was more like the Philistines showing their power over him by pushing him around or making a mockery of him. I love that. I think that's probably right. Hey, we've got the guy who killed a bunch of our people. Hey, remember the foxes? Remember what he did with those foxes and the fire? Remember that? Yeah, maybe they had some foxes on stage with them. I don't know. Maybe there was fire. Maybe they sat there eating grain in front of him going, yeah, you try to kill all our grain. You know, Maybe they had a jawbone of a donkey. They're waving that around. Hey, Samson, show us what you do with that job. Oh, you can't see. Oh, okay. 
don't know. Play with, they're probably playing with the guy, whatever. I like that, Aaron, good idea. Their theological error was that, and we see this, they don't see it, of course, but we see it. Yahweh delivered Samson to the Philistines, not this idol, Dagon, who, who is impotent and powerless. And we're going to see that in just two verses. The dude's going to die in his own temple. Okay? The temple of Dagon is going to kill Dagon. Right? There's no more impotency than that. Okay? That is as impotent as it gets. It's the same kind of in, in, impotency that would lead Israel to wonder in the time between the two testaments, is their God dead? Because the Babylonians were going to come and sack them to the ground. And we're going to take the fineries out of his temple in Jerusalem. And they're going to wonder, is God dead? Is our God going to show up again? Will this Messiah business ever come true? Is our God ever going to speak to us again? Is this it? Is he dead? Is it over? And they're going to wonder and they're going to wonder. And after Malachi, there's going to be 400 years of silence. And they're going to say, you know what? Maybe our God is impotent. Maybe our God has had enough with us. Maybe that's it. See, this hits home because a, a God doesn't die in his own temple. Or he can't be God anymore. That's that tension. It's going to be Dagon. We have the double death, 26 of 31. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. That's a fair assumption. The guy can't see, you know, who knows what's going on all around him, the noise and the jeering, all that. I mean, he just wants to hang on to something. I know when I'm washing my hair in the shower and then the, the stuff is going to go into my eyes. I got to close my eyes. I sometimes get dizzy because I have, I have balance issues. When I close my eyes, I get, you know, he can't see. So he wants to grab onto something. I get, I get that. Okay. I get that. All right. I don't have a problem with that. That totally makes sense to me. Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple. So I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. This is like a national thing here. My goodness. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Oh, we're sitting here and we're saying, Samson, finally. Finally, Samson, have your moment. You've been broken, Samson. You're at rock bottom, Samson. Finally, Samson, have this great moment of faith we've been expecting for four chapters. Samson, be the man that the angel promised you were going to be. Samson, come on, finally have this moment of faith. Samson, pray to the Lord. Uh, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more which, by the way, tells us he knows that God's been strengthening him. We want the prayer to end right there. We really want Samson to say one more thing. We want him to say, Sovereign Lord, remember me once more. Give me strength once more. We want him to say this, so that I might finally, finally deliver Israel from the Philistines. That would bring it all together. At that point, 
That is the mic drop of mic drops. That would put Samson firmly in Hebrews chapter 11. That would be boom. Samson, the great redeemable character. Samson, the one like evil King Manasseh who turns back to good at the very end. That would make Samson a broken but noble guy at the end. Let's finish Samson's prayer. I'll repeat the beginning of it. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. <sighs> then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Nice dramatic effect. Giving God one last chance to come through, I guess. Then he pushed with all of his might. And he wasn't knowing this, but with all God's might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Uh, text coming in here. Make text to God to answer Samson's prayer because it suited his sovereign will. Yep. Remember, for God's plan to unfold, Samson had to be between those pillars, right, to accomplish this. And God had his man there. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel, I love your text, Daniel. Oh, Samson, you just had to make it about yourself. Yeah. People like to say, well, he prayed at the end. He prayed he could, he could do this at the end, but it was about his eyes. They gouged out my eyes, Lord. Remember, I'm your guy. They, they took my eyes. It's, it's, it's unwritten, but it's like, are you going to let that stand? Will you answer my prayers so we can at least take care of this final slight? Like God gives a rip about your revenge business, Samson. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like you're honoring God with your revenge cycles. God, let me get one last vengeance. I know I'm going to die, but just, you know what? Let me, let me just give revengeance on them. It's all about himself. I mean, I don't know if like narcissism is real. That's kind of like a, kind of like a pop psychology thing. But if it is, if that's like a really true thing, um, and that's the best way to put it, Samson, right there. That's like all about himself all the time, no matter what. Every conversation is coming back. He's literally like Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. Everything comes back to him and how he feels and what he deserves and what he's going to get. And uh, by the way, a good pun I saw this week, Samson is the winner of the Nobel Prize. He didn't get Bell. You got that? Okay, there you go. I'll be here all week. But yeah. Um, ah, my goodness. Samson. What's the focus of Samson? Him. All the time, him, he himself, and him. 
And he has no humility when it comes to God. He is all about himself at all times. And at no time in his life is he ever focused on delivering Israel. You know, the you have one job, Samson, deliver Israel. At no time is he ever focused. Now, you can argue he did deliver by various means. I'm not arguing that. The text even says in his death, he delivered more than in his life. We're not arguing that. We're arguing upon Samson's focus. Samson's focus at no time was, God, help me deliver Israel. At no time was his focus there. None. The text doesn't say it at any point in time that Samson gave, gave a, a, any care at all about that job he had to do. That's it. That's, that's his focus is all on him. His lusts, his desires, his whims, his fancies, whatever he can get out of that moment, that's him. And I know when that is me, I make my mistakes. When that is you, you are making your mistakes. When you're all about you and yourself and your fancies and your whims, your selfishness, that's when sin runs rampant. That can't be you. Oh, Samson, the focus of Samson, the grace of God. Big texted in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, even like old Sammy boy. For we do not know what to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes according to the will of God. <laughs> he texted, the Spirit fixes Samson's prayer. Yeah, you know, that might be taking it too far. I, I don't know. What I do know is God does answer his prayer. God does give him that strength. He pushed it down, and he killed many. Yeah, Samson still belonged to God because God is faithful. God didn't answer his prayer that he prayed, though. As in, okay, like God didn't go to Samson. You know what? That's right. They did take your eyes. Well, hold on a second. Hold my heavenly beer. I'll take care of this, Samson. No. That's not how God answered his prayer. It had nothing to do with his eyes. Samson died a tragic figure, not a redeemed figure. And it's sad. The grace of God still shows. Dagon is dead in his own temple. He's impotent. Yeah, we talked about that. Um, though Samson does, in fact, inflict many casualties on the Philistines, he does not deliver Israel. He never led the Israelites into battle. He never led them at all, for that matter. And we get here down the greatest and saddest Samson irony is this. Samson's a strong man of the book of Judges, but he reveals himself as the weakest man of the book of Judges. Strong that he could do amazing feats of strength, but weak because he was ruled by his flesh and his passions. He was, he was enslaved by his own desires. So though he ended up being the strongest man, he ended up being the weakest man too. Sad. That's the great Samson irony. Text in from Mick. It had to do 
but God had his sights on the Philistines. And since Samson didn't do his job, God stepped in more directly. I mean, we know God is sovereign. We know God has led Samson to this point. God even God even decided to make it when he said, take my hair off. And then God, then, then, then I'll be weak. And then all of a sudden God's, okay, let's do it. And watch this. And then watch this. And God's sovereign plan unfolded. Yeah, Samson, the strongest guy, is really the weakest guy. And that's the irony. How about, let's close this off with two, two comparisons here. Samson and Jesus and Samson and faith. Um, if you're the kind of person who does theology wrong, and you want to you read Jesus back into every page of the Old Testament, you might very likely read Jesus in a Samson. Get this. Samson like Christ, was raised up by God. Samson, like Christ, was announced by an angel. Samson, like Jesus, was, con was conceived miraculously. Samson, like Jesus, was rejected by his own people. Samson, like Jesus, was handed over to pagan overlords. Like Jesus, Samson's saving work was consummated in his death. Wow. Wait, with that for a second that samson all of a sudden becomes like a pre-christ oh my goodness now that's not taking the text at face value because that would take morality out of everything an original reader would go yeah but look what he did to dad look what he did to this he was the worst nazarite of all time but but just 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 taking the new testament and thrusting it into the Old Testament, all of a sudden Samson and Jesus line up really nicely. No wonder Samson shows up in our Sunday school history or our Sunday school books. Because look at that. Look what he did. Look who he was. No. You can't do a theology that way. Because Sam Samson is not the standard of Christ at all. Samson was one of the most narcissistic persons in all the Bible. Christ, one of the most humble. Through Samson, Yahweh did not save Israel. The Philistines are still in charge at the end of the story. Israel's not delivered through Samson. Through Jesus, Yahweh saved the world. All those who turned to him. Through Jesus, Yahweh provided salvation for humanity. What did God accomplish through Samson? Well, he accomplished something theologically, like he did on Mount Carmel with Baal. Baal is not truly God. Remember, God won that contest. God, Yahweh is truly God. Dagon is not truly God. Yahweh is truly. He accomplished something theologically. Only God's grace made something actually worthwhile with the tragic life of Samson. I'm going to say that again. Only God's grace made something actually worthwhile out of the tragic life of Samson. That's your story too. And that's my story as well. And yes, you know, mixed texting and about accountability. Yeah, there's accountability. Samson sinned. Samson was doing bad things. He was accountable and God was working out his purposes. That's exactly right, Mick. And Daniel, good, good, good text. Whereas Samson was always selfish, Jesus was always selfless. Samson died, Jesus died and rose again, defeating death. Yeah, see, you can't, there's a lot of things that, that come together with Samson and Jesus in terms of, it is true, I made a big mention of this at the beginning of Samson, that his 
birth announcement was very Christ-like. You know, angels, you know, like, you know, Gabriel with Mary. And like, it's like this, it's like this angel of the Lord with the, the wife and also with Manoah. It's like, yeah, this is rare territory we're in, but it's setting us up for something better than this. And it never comes. In fact, it's just always about Samson. That's not Christ at all. So Samson and Jesus, no. No, theologically, that is poor theology to make that connection. What about Samson and faith? Yeah, Joel, but he's in Hebrews 11. Uh, well, yeah, Barat and Gideon and Jephthah, they're, they're, they're there as well. Does that chapter speak more about spiritual condition? Like, these are great spiritual heroes. Or was the writer of Hebrews simply making a, a list for the purposes of illustrating his message, using the people that his audience would be most familiar with? I mean, he doesn't seem to be ranking them. I mean, the most developed characters in that chapter are Abraham and Moses. And then you throw in Samson. Is he saying Samson's like an Abraham or a Moses? No. No, not really. Samson barely had enough faith to call upon God who empowered him. Abraham and Moses seem to manifest faith on an entirely different level. The point is not that all these individuals have, have, have attained some Hall of Fame level of faith. The point is, even spiritual lightweights like Samson, yeah, Samson, the one who was never a lightweight, he was a spiritual lightweight. God is able to use even the smallest amount of faith. Even when the only faith he has was, God, you're real, and you'll give me revenge for my eyes, that's like a little Dixie cup amount of faith. Dinky, dinky, dinky. But look what God was able to do even through that. But again, not Samson. God was able to do it. See, the reason why Judges is such a good story is that it reminds us that God is not only able, but is willing to use broken, selfish people to accomplish his holy, perfect plan. And that should give you encouragement as you struggle in your life to at times and seasons to obey him and to be faithful. When your faith feels like it's small and tiny, just remember, he wants you Samson. He surely can and does use you. Don't give up hope. Don't lose faith. When Jesus speaks about faith as small as a mustard seed, it's not about the mustard seed. It's about the faith and who you trust. And in this time, Mick says, God always comes through. Amen, Daniel. If God can use Samson, he certainly can use you. God bless you guys.